welcome to Recovery Internet Radio, brought to you live and direct every Sunday at 7 from Straight Stuff Studios. It's a lot of S's. Anyway, that's uh, episode number 106, possibly. We've been going at this for <laughs> almost, darn near a couple of years almost now. Almost two years. Yeah, almost time for that cupcake celebration with the anniversary. We mm-hmm. celebrate our, our yearly anniversaries with dessert, which I when think is, is our official. I think our official anniversary, I want to say, is like mid-April. Could be. So, Could be. Yeah. Well, anyway, thanks for being here with us tonight. Thanks, guys, for coming out. Uh, those are our studio audience here, guys and gal. <laughs> <laughs> Looking to have a fantastic show for you this evening. Uh, I'm going to introduce our host this evening and every Sunday night, Mr. Rick Atwater. Thank you. Thank you. Uh, hi, and uh, welcome to Recovery Internet Radio and our show, Not Looking for Reasons. Um, and our guest tonight, Dwayne M., Hey, um, how you doing? I'm doing good. I hope everybody out there is doing good. Thanks for joining us tonight where we are every Sunday night at 7. Used to be 8, but now it's 7. Uh, thanks to Chris, who's engineering this uh, this thing and sure. uh, making thanks, this Chris. technically happen. We need we need the tech. We'd be, we'd be screwed without it. <laughs> um, you can call in to the show if you have questions or comments or opinions. Um, eh, skip the opinions. Just, you know, co- uh, comments and questions. <laughs> The number is 323-792-2977, or you can tweet us, and we can get that live, at Rick Atwater. Yes, you can. Um, and re- remember to, re- to check out recoveryinternetradio.com. That's recoveryinternetradio.com, Thank your you. one-stop source for all things Recovery Internet Radio. That's right, <laughs> and you get all our shows uh, in an archived fashion. Tonight's show, if you don't catch it live, but you want to pass it along so that other people can hear it. You can pass the link along, and people can listen to it later. Um, I don't know. I guess that's probably – That's. do you want to say anything about Sidekicks now, or do you want to save it? No, you know, just really quick, um, you know, for those uh, for those regular listeners here, if you're out there, we uh, – you, you might have heard of us talk about it before, but we're involved with an organization called Sidekicks Mentoring, which is a no-cost, uh, purely volunteer-based uh, peer mentoring group for uh, for young kids that you know some of them are coming out of court services, some of them are just having some issues at home, and need uh, a positive role model that is uh, going in the right direction in their life to kind of pass on some of their knowledge and some of their inspiration. Um, and it's been a great program so far. We are actually having our first ever benefit concert, and we're calling it One for All. We've got two. Uh, two fantastic performing artists that are going to be playing at a place called The Other Side. So check out their website. Check out our website. We'll be hearing uh, the, the amazing sounds of Athena, country music recording artist, and uh, indie musician Chris Mathian. So it should be a really fun night. That's uh, March 22nd, so it's coming up pretty soon. So March 22nd, uh, Saturday night, and uh, doors open at 7. So check us out. Uh, check out recoveryinternetradio.com. Check out The Other Side and Crystal Lake, and there'll be plenty of information up for you to find. So, yeah. hope to see Ten you there. Ten bucks at the door. Yeah. Um, You're welcome to bring yeah. more. You know. Yeah. <laughs> for, it's for a good cause. So, um, and one and one thing, Athena, do, do you know do you know Steve's uh, the the guy who who passed away? Steve's sponsor, sponsee. Do you know the name? Okay. Well, I just wanted to say I just wanted to make mention of a friend of ours from the show, Steve Ferroni, who's. A pretty well-known musician. He's been on the show, and 
he uh, one, somebody that was very close to him, a, a guy that he sponsored, um, just passed away this past week. So we just wanted to say we're sorry to hear about that, and we feel for his family, and we uh, understand that the disease took another one, Steve. So um, our thoughts are out for you. What's the name? Ted G. Ted G. So, uh, sorry to hear about that, and uh, yeah, we, we always hate to lose. We always hate to lose the good guys. So anyway, let's get started with our show tonight um, with Dwayne, and uh, I'm gonna I'm gonna for you guys who who didn't read the flyer, I'm gonna just just I'm just gonna read this little paragraph up up front. This is what it said on the reminder. It said. He was the youngest of 11, so that was the reason he drank, question mark. Nah, he drank because he didn't know a better way to deal with life. He used because he was an alcoholic and a drug addict. It's just the way it was done where he came from. He drank because he suffered through a number of family deaths. Nah, he drank because it was all he knew, and by the time he wanted to stop, he couldn't. He wasn't fooling around. Crack and whiskey were his drug of choice, and uh, that's who we're talking to tonight. Dwayne didn't fool around. How you doing? My name is Dwayne. I'm a recovered alcoholic. I'm glad you're here, Dwayne. So Absolutely. tell us where uh, you would say um, where where it started for you. Talk maybe a little bit about what what it was like for you growing up. And I grew know. up on the west side of Rockford. Like you said, I was a baby of 11, and uh, my mom and dad worked all the time. My brothers and sisters were kind of older than me. Some of them lived down south but we had some that lived at home and so I grew up on the west side of Rockford which is a pretty rough neighborhood and uh we grew up on the way west end and like I said my mom and dad worked all the time when I was a kid we used to travel a lot my dad traveled from neighborhoods to neighborhoods because we his job and we'd go down south for a while come back up because my mom's from whole family's from the south Arkansas and Texas and uh, Mississippi but then we'd go to Arkansas and Texas but we would uh travel down there and come back, but like my teenager years, you know, and mainly it was all in Rockford. Yeah, that's where you pretty much stayed. Yeah. And was everybody already gone? Like, I mean, were they all up and out by the time you were in high school or were... Yeah, they were, I'm a baby, of a, like I said, I was a baby, so they're all older, so yeah, they were already grown and using and drinking. A lot of my brothers and sisters that I was around, they all drink and use. Yeah. So. Yeah. Did anybody ever, did anybody else get into recovery? No. Well, my brother did a while back. And he uh, passed away a couple few years ago. But, yeah, he got into it, had some time in. He's mm-hmm. the one that got me into kind of recovery. You know, my mom, in 05, my mom got cancer. And um, so, yeah, so growing up, it's just a lot of partying, mm-hmm. get, getting down and dirty. When did you, like, when would you say, like, you first kind of started to get introduced? How old were you and, like, how did it go? I was, like, around 10 or 11. My sister Gail lived down the road from us. And uh, she would leave her and her husband, my brother, they'd go, and I had a niece and nephew, and she would take off, and they would go out partying, and they'd say, we'll be back, you know, a couple few hours or whatever, later that night, and they have a babysitter, and they won't come back for days. Hmm. And they just go party. So my niece and nephew had to fend for themselves, knocking on doors, asking for food. So me and my buddies would go over there because the house would be empty, and that's when I started drinking. And I remember my sister had some beer in the refrigerator, and I drank it. Mm-hmm. And I was like, oh, this, man, I remember the first feeling that when I first took a drink, it felt good. I got sick, but I remember that feeling, you know, so I was like, wow, this is it. So you are about 11 at that time? About 11, what I can remember. It was, it was yeah. pretty early on. Yeah, it's not a good sign when you get sick and then you say to yourself, oh, this is good. Yeah, so then we knew, 
me and my buddies, we That's knew a warning every, sign. Yeah, every weekend yeah. we knew that I know my sister Gail and uh, she passed away too. We'll get to that, but her and her husband would leave on the weekends, and we I knew that we have a house to go to. There'd be no one there but my niece and nephew, and if some babysitter who's an addict, alcoholic. So and the kids and the your niece and nephew were younger than you. Yeah, they're my nephew. My, my niece is like a year younger than me. I'm 36. My nephew's a few years younger. So you're like 10 or 11 years old, and they're yeah, so they're yeah. nine, eight and nine yeah, years old. Yeah, my and nephew, you're running your own show over there. Yeah, I kind of just had to run in the house. They'd be gone, and I knew they'd come back when they came down. They partied hard, mm-hmm. the harder drugs, and mm-hmm. they, I knew they, I knew the routines on the weekends. He'd get paid because he worked, and then they'd disappear. And until they moved down south, and then that's when. Uh, by then, I already had my disease full, full, full force. Yeah. So, so how long did that go on? How long were you, were you doing that stuff? It was going on for a long time. I mean, when I started doing it there, and then it just picked up. Me and my buddy started drinking, and all my buddies, and as I had older brothers, so they would buy us liquor. We had them buy us booze. Uh, you, know? you were you, you'd moved on from the beer already. Yeah. It was, yeah. We started partying. My, my brothers, my, my one of my older brothers is in the the drugs, mm-hmm. marijuana. So like mm-hmm. he. He used to smoke it, so he got me into doing that, and then from that led on. So, see, everybody has a different definition of party. So, when you say party, I gotta like go. Well, what does that mean? That means I did this, I did that. You know, like yeah. party meant for you meant liquor and liquor and yeah, weed at that time. And weed, yeah, and then from there it just progressed. Yeah. The neighborhood I grew up in, like I said, my, my buddies, they brought all the older brothers party with you know drugs, cocaine, everything. So hanging around them, I just. I just started picking up on their behavior. Behaviors and Sounds like you could do whatever you, I mean, pretty much whatever. Yeah, pretty much. Well, like I said, my mom and dad worked a lot, so I kind of just did did my own. You know, I had to be home at a certain time. You know, I had chores and stuff I did kind of when I, when I followed directions, but I kind of just ran it, you know. <laughs> 13, 14, I was just gone. I'd get out of school, skip school, whatever, but i just get out of school and go. Like you're about at 13 and 14, what are you uh, Freshman, sophomore. Yeah, seventh grade, I just I wouldn't go. I'd go in one door and out the other. Got to a point where my dad was getting calls. Counselors were calling him saying, your son ain't even in school no more. We see him get off the school bus. And, and my dad was a good tricker, man. He would be like, hey, the counselor called today. You didn't go to school. I'm like, he didn't even call. My dad set me up. And then I get, get busted out, you know, uh-huh. skipping school and partying. Uh-huh. I'd go to my buddy's house, his dad, or my house. My mom and dad worked, so I know we'd go to my house hang out, clean up before they got home. I knew my mom got home around 2. My dad pulled in the driveway at like 3.52 every day, like clockwork. Yeah, you had it. All you needed was to stop watching a bottle of booze, and you are yeah, there, man. Yeah. You had the timing down. Yeah. Did you know, I mean, did you know that, did you have any idea what you were, what you were doing, what you were getting into? No, I didn't. It's just that side of town, and, and like I said, seeing it is just the way of life. You know, the west side of rock for everybody I grew up with, hung around with, party, they drank, they used. It was just normal. You know, people at school, they would skip school, smoke weed. And then, I, you know, on the weekends, I see guys doing other stuff. My sisters were doing cocaine. I watched them do it. You know, and I'm thinking, wow, it's just normal. So it's just like, you know, I got inherited into a normal way of life. Yeah, yeah. So, like, you, you, you know, like you work, you, you know, you eat, you sleep, you get high. It's all, like, kind of like part of the deal. I mean, there must have been there must have been somebody there must have been some people over there on the west side of Rockford that, like, finished you know, went to school and finished you know did did the DL I, I don't know you know yeah there's there was a couple friends of mine that that I but nobody you knew knew no for the most part. my true friends no they all dropped out 
you know, we all partied. People yeah. I hung around with, the ones that, uh, the squares that got graduated and stuff, they, you know, they got lives now, families, the ones that are like me, you know, they're like me, you know, some, like, in the 90s, crack got hit, hit the, the west side really hard, and that's when I really got that's, for a loop. Yeah, that's when things went really downhill. So when, what what happened from the time you were, like, uh, like in high school, early part of high school, to talk about that from, from that forward, like, what happened then? Well, see, in high school, when I was 16, I was in uh, ninth grade, and I was just skipping all the time. The teachers were calling, saying, you know, he ain't even going to school no more. So they kind of just kicked me out. Mm-hmm. No sense to have me on the books. So then I was 16. My sister at the time, her, the one I used to party with at her house, she moved down south. She moved back up, and her and her husband got a divorce, and she was stay- currently staying with us, and then she got her own place. Well, her boyfriend at the time, he became a good friend of mine. Well, he got a head of job seal coating. And I was 16. I had a little Camaro my dad bought me. You know, my dad bought all of us cars. Mm-hmm. You know, all the other kids were his stepkids, but he took care of all. You know, he showed us, showed me what a real man was. He took care of all of them the same. But I started working. He, all, my dad always went to work, and he said, you know, if you're going to play hard, you work hard. And uh, so I got a job still coding for uh, Tricky Enterprise, American Silver Stripe at 16, making cash, you know, and then I would, me and my sister's boyfriend would go, and then that's when I really started taking off because I started having money. And I would live at my mom and dad's, so I'd get paid, and I'd just blow it off. By Sunday, I'd be broke. Got no rent? No rent, nothing. My dad would be working his butt off to buy groceries, pay the bills, and I'm just running around doing whatever I want to do, selfish, self-centered. How did he feel about that? Oh, he wasn't too happy. He didn't say much. My dad was a passive guy. He just yeah. worked, and he was, you know, he really didn't say too much. I never, all the years I, my mom was alive, I never seen him mm. fight. And I asked mm. him, man, I never see you guys argue and fight. Pretty sure they had. I seen them at differences, but they never had a like. I see some families knock out, drag out fights. You're right. They didn't. No, no. He kind of kept it under wraps, and they probably did it when they. Were you getting in any trouble then? Or were you? Yeah, I was. I got in trouble when I was like, I think I was 17 or 18. I was me and my buddies were out boosting cars and you know, taking stereos out of cars, and I got busted. And I was the driver. You know, I'm the only one that had a car early on. Cause I had a job, so I was got busted with all the stolen merchandise. Me and my buddy Alan got ripped out of the car and. Cops were involved, and I got in trouble. I had to get a, a lawyer. It was pretty. It was a pretty big ordeal. Yeah. Did you get, did Did they end up convicting you, or what happened? Yeah, I got in trouble. I got. I was a minor, so I got a little fine. My dad paid a grand again. My dad was all. My mom and dad. Maybe not my dad. My dad was like, no. But my mom. She was my enabler. Yeah. She'd say, let me she came talk, up with the cash. Let me talk to you. Let me talk to your dad. You just go go somewhere and come right. back. And she would always persuade my dad. He'd uh-huh. always get. And they say, you know, he paid a thousand dollars down for a lawyer, and I got out of it. I got in trouble. I had to do community service work and stuff like that. Yeah. Public service work. Yeah, you were. Well, that was a while ago. You're pretty lucky because I think, you know, if you hadn't been a minor, you probably would have caught the yeah, felony. Yeah, and I would have gotten in big trouble. And uh, yeah. And then, then from there on, I started, you know, just partying all the time. I worked, and then my sisters started partying with her, and then her boyfriend was in the crack. Mm-hmm. You know, he was big time in it. And I would get off work, get paid, we'd go cash a check, I'd take him to go pick it up. I knew he was getting it. And I was like, you know what, I used to watch him and my other buddies' brothers do it. And I'm like, man, I'm never going to do that drug. Yeah. So I had an idea that, you know, I knew a couple guys that used to sell. So I'm like, man, I can get the stuff. I can make some money on the side. Right. That's what I was doing for a while. I was, I was making money off of him and a couple other guys. And I was putting it on weed. They showed me how to put it on weed and I could sit back with those while they get all stuck and I could just smoke my primos. Yeah. And that lasted for a couple of years, and then 
you know, obviously working with that guy for so many years, I ended up just smoking it. Yeah. My sister and them, she was the first one I got high with, my sister Gail. Yeah, so that's how you did that. So what years were, what what years was it that crack came in? Was that uh, it was about, like it was about 95, oh, yeah, it was 90, 90, 95. It was called Ready Rock, and then it just came into crack. You know, first it was free bass, and then I heard people talking about the free bass, and then it came into Ready Rock, and then, and then it was crack. You know, everybody in the corner was sounding. Everybody. What's the di- what's the di- is there any difference or those are just names? Just names. Well, free bass, and then they get the cocaine, they cook it. Yeah. You know, and they, that's free bass. They buy the coke and cook it, and then the right. Ready Rock. It's, it's already ready, right? It's already done, yeah. yeah. Already, you don't have to cook it. You yeah, just smoke it as is. One corner, pick it up, throw it, and go. Right. And then the crack is just, that's just the name. They, they named it after, the, the brothers named it. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah. And, crack. <laughs> and it kind of took over a lot of neighborhoods, didn't it? Yeah, it took over the whole west side. It was really bad because the projects was right there. In our neighborhood, it started getting to really be bad. And my dad and mom, the house we lived into later in life, they realized it had a bad septic, so my dad's like, I'm not paying all this. So he ended up getting found bankruptcy on the house, and we ended up moving to another neighborhood. Did you know, like, did you have any idea at that time yet that anything was wrong? No, I thought, was, you know, I thought I had a control of it because I had a job. Yeah. You know, I watched some of the guys that were smoking crack. They had no teeth. They're riding around bicycles, and they're, and they're panhandling, stealing. Right. You know, they're going to the salvage yard with, like, Luna cans and like little shit they stole from people's houses. Right. Cash in for for money and I'm thinking, man, I'm driving. I always had a car, you know, because my mom and dad always made sure I had a car. Mm-hmm. Or my boss, Ike Tricky, he was a good dude. He he had a car lot, so every yeah. time I mess a car up, he'd have no one lined up for me because he wanted to make sure I got to work. So did you ever steal? Yeah, I done it. Yeah. Yeah, I ain't gonna lie. Mainly for my dad. I never got yeah. busted for stealing like from nobody. It was my dad. But, you know, that's the thing. I mean, isn't it? That's the thing. He gets, you know, you can talk about the drugs and you can talk about all these different things, but, it, like, it, it messes with your morals. Yeah. It messes with who you, who you are. Yeah, like, I was raised. My dad taught me to go to work, don't steal. My dad was just an honest guy. I mean, he worked his butt off to pay for the kids. If we needed something, he was there. Shoes, we never went without food. So he gave you good values. Yeah. And those you had, and then, but still... You know what I mean? That's yeah. It was it was pretty hard, and every time I do it, I'd be messed up, and I'd go ask my dad for money, and he'd be like, "No," and I know he's got it on him. So I would I would justify and say, I'd get pissed off and take something his like a saw, chainsaw, something I can go down to the bar, to the pawn shop, and get rid of, and make an easy fifty, a hundred dollars. And then you know, eventually he'll know it's gone. He knows who got it. He always said I don't have to worry about the neighborhood. It's my own family I gotta worry about. <laughs> <laughs> and mainly me, you know, me and my so, sisters. So. so they knew, they knew. Yeah, they knew I had a problem early on, and I knew yeah. I had a problem. I just didn't, I didn't know how to stop. You know, right. When you get, I don't know if anybody else smoked crack, but when you get the the session of the mind all day long at work, that's all I thought about. Where can I get it? Who can I get the money from? Where can I borrow money? Who can I get? A front, you know, if I because I'd make six hundred dollars on a paycheck, and I would, you know, buy it from one guy, and I said, well, I go front from him, and then when I got paid, I would have my check out. It's called credit. He'd give me credit. He yeah. Knew, he knew where my mom and dad lived, so if I didn't pay, he'd come to my mom and dad's house. Knock on the door. Yeah, and they never did. Gratefully, I always paid, or you know, I was a good smooth talker, and I could hustle my way out of anything. So I would, yeah. you know, and I knew people that smoked, so I would buy a bunch, and I would go around these houses and sell it to them. And I was it's a hustle. You know, some people. Some people say there's a personality, like drug a, a drug addict personality that got that hustle, got that slick, got that, 
you know, thing going on. Is that you think that's true? Yeah, yeah. Was my, you know, you start to learn how to adapt to the streets. You know, and where I where I was raised was nowhere like that. But the, I learned how to adapt. I knew how I can go over here and get it. This guy would give it to me. As long as I'm back in an hour, I can take it over here, break the little guy off a hit. And I know he's got a paycheck. I ain't buying them. I'm a sister's boyfriend. I can't get high this week. The way I got to pay this, I got rent. As soon as I get a hit, let me do a hit. Then okay, I get a hit, and his whole paycheck's gone. Give me another one. Give me another one. So I sit there for a few hours, get his whole check, and then I run to someone else's house. I done that for many years, and that's how I, I supplied my habit. Because you knew you knew that one one little hit, and there and that's all. Yeah, and then it's, it's over, right? Yeah, I always told myself that I could just do one. But every time I done one, I, it was. I mean, I had to call my mom. The next day to get gas money to get to work. Yeah. And she'd be like, "Come on!" I, I so you weren't really that good at doing one, huh? No, I, I couldn't do one. <laughs> I did one. Is anybody is is anybody um, is anybody that's that smokes crack ain't good at doing one, or is it just? No, you? I knew a couple of buddies I knew that had houses and stuff. They would only do it on the weekends. They had a family, and I used to go get high with them, and they'd be like, "Wait, man, just do like we do, man. We put the stuff down." <laughs> Just I, something with me, it's, when I got it in me, it's all bets off. I'm going to the races. And were you drinking then, then too? Yeah. Was, I really didn't like to take the beer, so I would drink, like, wine coolers, different mixed drinks. And then mm-hmm. what really hit me is one one time I, I was at a bar. My bar, I hung out around with Leisure Times. I grew up there 16 all the way to until I got sober. And um, That was the name of it, Leisure Times? Yeah, it was a, yeah. It was a pool hall and a bar. Yeah. And the owner let me drink there, and all my buddies hang out there. Yeah. And they, they didn't know I smoked crack. That was my true friends. I got like 20, 30 true friends that didn't know I smoked. I did it on the down low. Yeah. But I had my crackhead friends that knew I smoked. Yeah. So I had a double life. How come How come that? You Were uh, Were you ashamed of it? Yeah, I was ashamed because all my buddies that sold weed and powder, you know, they're like, man, you know, I do lines with them, but they, they look at crackheads way because you're more, when you smoke crack, it's different. Your morals and values go out the window. You'll, you'll steal and lie and cheat and you do whatever it takes to get one, man. So that's that's the reputation, and it's true, right? Yeah. Yeah, yeah. So so they wouldn't they they wouldn't want to hang with you if they knew or no, you thought if they, they wouldn't. No, they knew that they would disown me. And eventually they started noticing I was getting kind of screwed off because I was come to leisure. I was losing weight. My mom was always saying, "Wayne, your eyes are sinking in the back of your head," and I never knew, you know, because I'd work a lot, and and I made pretty good money. I'd work a lot of hours, you know, daylight to dark, seven days a week, still coding. And I never had nothing to show for it. You know, I'd be broke all the time, borrow money. Just it was. Horrible. Did she think it was because? Did she think your eyes were sunk in your head because 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 you were working so hard, or did she know what was no, going I, on? I got I got six brothers and four sisters. My dad had a kid who lived in Denver, but all the ones that were around, they all most of them used not all of them, but majority of them. So she'd been around the drugs. So she knew. She knew. She yeah. knew I was on something. They didn't know exactly what, but they knew. My yeah. my mom was a dumb. She knew. Yeah. So you were living a double life at age, what, how old were you, in your 20s? Yeah, 16, uh, it's about 16, 17, I started really getting hard in the crack, working, and I lived, I lived a dog. I went to work every day. I did not miss work. That's one thing about me. My dad taught me, sick or not, I mean, I'd go be smoking until 4 in the morning. I'd be working at 6. I'd get in the shower and go to work, work out in the sun all day. It'd be horrible, man. I ain't doing this, man. I'm not doing this. I'd get off work, and I'd make a couple moves, and i got a bag on me, and I'd drink whiskey. Yeah. I loved them because I, I want it now. Right. Crack, one hit, you're fucking to the moon. Yeah. And then, excuse my language, but then whiskey, same way. You know, I had beer, you got to drink, you get bloated. I like Yukon Jack, and that was my drink. I could drink that by the fifth. Mm-hmm. And that wasn't usually healthy for me. 
Someone eat, work all day long. <laughs> Normally, no. Cracking no. whiskey and not eating. That Yukon Jack. Now, other brands, maybe they're good for you. I don't know. But that Yukon <laughs> Jack, that stuff is nasty. Yeah. Well, anyway, so, yeah, that's, yeah. Now, tell me, like, when you, you know, do most guys who are, you know, doing the doing the crack thing, do are they heavy drinkers, too? Because, it's like, it's like, how do you sleep? Yeah, sometimes, and, and um, a lot of them are. They drink and they smoke, usually hand in hand. Yeah, and a lot of them, you know, like me, I can, I had to have, I had to have both, until the end of my using, it was just, I couldn't afford both, so it was just crack. Oh, okay. And I couldn't, because whiskey's, you know, you kind, I get the little shooters, but yeah. that's what I usually get, just to call the ads. To me, I wouldn't sleep. I would, I would be up for days sometimes, yeah. working. You know, and in the winter I get laid off, and that's when I really would crash and burn, because I have all this free time. My mind would wander all the time, and that's when my dad. Stuff will come up stolen because I don't have no money, unemployment, right. and I'm sitting around the house pacing back and forth trying to get one, man. Just, you know, the session of the mind, man, it's really bad. That sounds horrible. Yeah, it is. Now I look at it now. When I was in it, I just didn't know how. No. When I woke up, my feet at the floor, the first thing I thought, man, where can I get one? Yeah. Who can I get it from and how can I get it? Right. You know, means and ways to get it, man. Use to live and live to use. For years, 15 years, it was that way. Yeah. It was rough. Yeah, it sounds exhausting. Yeah. And you didn't even, and how how long, or like where in that in that period of time, when did you ever know or did it ever occur to you that things were like bad? Yeah, when I used to, I used to get high a lot in my mom and dad's bathroom. And uh, I kind of chuckled, but it was my, I knew my dad knew. He, he, I didn't think he did. I'd go in there for half hours and, He'd hear the, I know they heard the lighters and I'd be in there smoking. But I used to sit and look. I only take 10 minutes to get a hit in. Yeah. You know, 20 minutes, you're already coming down. And, but I would sit most of the time just looking in the mirror. You know, just looking in the mirror going, who is this guy? So this ain't the guy that I was brought up to raise. Yeah. You know, and I'm looking in the mirror. And, and my brothers, and them, they drank and used, but they had families. They had houses. My sister Gail was kind of all over and bouncing around. But the majority of them. They had they had stuff, you know, and I'm I'm sitting living in my mom and dad's house, room, basement, whatever, and just nothing, you know. My dad go to work, I'm eating off of my dad, living off of my dad, and I, it was horrible. But I just didn't know how to stop. I'm like, well, I'm here, I might as well go balls to the wall. Yeah. Until I crash and burn. And, yeah. And when when did you finally crash and burn? 2005. I um I was on getting high normally, and I come home and. My dad, I think it was an answer machine or something, but my mom was in the hospital for two or three years. She was having stomach problems. And then my dad kept taking her to the hospital, and she kept, they thought she had acid reflux, giving her all this green cough syrupy stuff. Well, they took her to Swedish American for a few years. Well, they took her to Rock Memorial because she was really bad. They did a CAT scan and found out she was ate up with cancer, pancreatic cancer. Mm. So I got to the hospital. It was the next day I get there, and it was her, my brother, and my dad, my brother Bruce and my dad sitting at, in the bed, and everybody else was out in the lobby. And um, my mom said, sit down, and she told me that they gave her six months to live. And when she told me that, you know, I was a piece of crap, and I've done a lot of horrible things to people and to, to get high, and I was just not, nothing nice. But she never once told me, Dwayne, you're a piece of crap, you're nothing. You're, she always loved me just as well as she loved all the other kids. She never once told me. She always told me I need to, I need to act right, I need to straighten up. Way I'm living is not healthy. She always told me I would meet her one on one. Yeah. And uh, but sitting in that hospital, and she told me that I just lost my, just, a part of me died. I was like, wow, 
you know, she was my neighbor, man. I could go right. to my mom and she'd be right. there for me. Right. You know, whenever I needed, she was there. And if she didn't have it, she made sure she would try to get it. Right. Tell my dad she needed this or that, just to try to keep me out of trouble because she knew that if I didn't have my hit, another side of me was coming out. So she, you know, I know if I got twenty bucks, I'd be okay. So at that at that point when she told you she had six months, then that was what sort of turned you around. Not really. I just kind of, I remember walking out of the room and I asked my dad for twenty bucks. He told me no, <laughs> I needed to get high. I yeah. just needed to get one. And I go out in the lobby, and my mom comes. I go back in. My mom hands me twenty dollars. Talk my dad out of twenty dollars. And that's the first thing I did. Got my car. Went to the dope spot, and I didn't even get high. I mean, I, I do like I normally do, and just, it just it wasn't right. And the next, when she gets out of the hospital, a couple of days or whatever, the next day, and I go home, and my sister, my two sisters, uh, Gail, and then my other one, I'm not going to say her name, but then my dad, and my brother Charles that passed away, I'll get to him in a little bit. But anyway, they were all sitting there, and my brother Charles, like, you need to get help, brother. You know, your mom wants you to get help for her, and they asked me to go into treatment. My dad was at work, and... So I got on the phone book, called everyone. It was like eight, nine months waiting list. Yeah. So I'm like, yes. You know. Yeah. And he pointed out Soldier House in Freeport, Illinois. So you were thinking to yourself, eight, nine, eight or nine months, yes, so I don't have to go. Yeah, I'm pretty sure she's going to live six months. At least I could be around here. I, you know, part of me, in my heart, my soul, I wanted to get right for my mom. I don't want to, I just couldn't live like that no more. Yeah. So my brother Charles and Gail told me about the Soldier House. Well, I called them, and they're like, wow, we got a waiting list, but maybe you can come out. So and then I had an appointment on a Monday. No, I went out there on a Monday. It was a Monday in 05, and uh, my sis, two sisters took me out there, and they said, well, come back in a couple of days. We'll get you in here. Yeah. So I'm thinking, man, I got a couple more days. I can get high. Right. That's all I thought about the whole time. And when I went in there, I was bullcrapping. The council lady knew it. She called my two sisters in the room and they said, give us your point of view. This is my sister Gail that I used to get high with, use with. Right. She, she knew the goods. And she she's even saying, Dwayne, you need help. Right. I'm like, well, you know what I got me on this stuff, but yeah. so then they busted it out and Did you think that you think she like turned on you? Yeah, I'm like, I can't believe she's sitting here like preaching to these people like she's all that when when I know her life. I used to get high with her for days. Mm-hmm. But um God I know the higher power at the time was working in me through them. So it's like you weren't really like there was a part of you that was wanting to do the right thing for your mom, but then there was another part of you that was kind of hoping that you could put it off and yeah, like you were still shocking and jiving basically. Yeah, I was yeah. still the, my my soul really wanted to stay sober and get it because I just I was tired, but but the other part of me I, I didn't know how. Well, you know what? Let's uh, let's do this. Let's take we're going to take a little bit of a break. We're going to take about five minutes and we're going to listen to a song that you chose okay. called Better Man. Better Man because. Trying to be a better man today. Yeah, that's what I like. That and and the band is called. Is, it's a littlest man band. Littlest man band. My buddy Matt, who's in recovery for two years, I was at his thirty days. I met him before that, but he's a good positive dude. And he played it one day. We're, we're driving back forth to Rockford, McHenry. I'm the reason why I moved out here. Yeah. And we became brothers, man. And he played it one day, and it's just my best song. I listen to it constantly all the time. Cause it, so we're gonna play it. You got it, Chris? Certainly do. Thanks for being with us here tonight. We're gonna we're gonna play a little. Uh, Play a little better, man, and we'll be back with you in five.
Thanks for being with us here tonight. If you're just joining us, you're listening to Recovery Internet Radio, brought to you from Straight Stuff Studios. We've been listening to a really interesting story so far. Thanks for being here, man. Uh, good, good tune, too. So hopefully you enjoyed it. Uh, if you've been with us all along, then, then thanks for being here for the whole ride. You can reach us at recoveryinternetradio.com for all of our details, or you can tweet us live during the show at Rick Atwater via Twitter, or you can call in at 323-792-792. 792-2977. Boom. Just like that off the top of his head. That's why he's the host. I just play, I just press the buttons over here. So yeah. I'll let you guys get back to it. Okay, good. Yeah, so where we, we were at is like you were just going into treatment at Sojourn House. And, and yeah, so yeah. they kind of miraculously had a bed. You were kind of hoping they wouldn't, and they kind of did. And you're kind of hoping they did, but maybe yeah. hoping that they didn't at the same time. Yeah, they got. Yeah, I was hoping they did, but in the back of my mind, I was like, man, I hope they don't. But they got me in there. The count there's three counselors. My sisters told them the real story. You know, I was just jumping and jiving, bullcrapping. You know, and then the counselor lady, who's no longer there, but her husband's there, phenomenal lady. She started talking about my mom, and I broke down, man. I was mm. crying, and the real Dwayne came out. Mm. I needed help, and I, and I cried out. And I said, I need help. Please help me. That's the real Dwayne. Yeah. Yeah. The, 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 not the not the guy putting the front on, tough guy, street guy, you know, smoking crack. The, the little boy who started using, you know, I need help. You were hurting. Yeah, I was. I was just. It was hurting, and then it broke down. I cried, and it's not running out of my nose. And the other counselors were crying. They were just like, and they were there for me. You mm-hmm. know, and, and I got in. I did 28 days there. And I did, and then they have a halfway program there. And I got out, and I, like I started halfway. And I got a job right away because I got a really good work record, and, and I like to work. My dad taught me that, you know, work. And that was in Freeport, right? Yeah, this was in Freeport. And I was working third shift at a cheese factory, Burner Cheese. To all you cheeseheads out there, they know they, they know where Burner Cheese is a big company. Yeah. But anyway, I started it's working big there. Illinois, for those of you in Wisconsin. And I, and I started Florida. moving up, man. I just, I just applied. I was in recovery. I was working. I had a sponsor, but I wasn't really working the steps. I was just going through the motions, and um, and just and my dad came to me and said, "Hey, your mom's getting worse. You need to come take care of her." So I would get off third shift and drive all the way to Rockford. I had my mom's jeep, drive to Rockford and take care of her, and watching her just whittle away, man, taking chemo, going ball, and then we got out of the hospice. I just couldn't handle it. And, and working all night, that's all I thought about, man. It's just my mom not really doing recovery. I was just intermission. And, right. and going back home to my old stomping ground, and the dope man's right around the corner. And I remember leaving there one one night. I was going to work. I got paid. And I said, I got to go to work. And I didn't go. I, I went by right around the corner, which my dad knows the spot. Right around the corner, these people, you know, they grew up where my brother and sister, they used. It was a dope house. Yeah, I rolled, rolled right in there, and I knew they can get it because I was – seven months or whatever, clean from recovery. I kind of knew where to get it, but I, I, you know, you got to go to Ag to get the drugs. Sure. The good stuff. I don't want to go on to any corner and get the bad. I, I want to get high. I want to get high. So I whipped in there and I said, I got 300 bucks. And I said, made one call. The dope man was there in a half hour and I was stuck for days. And I had an apartment in Freeport and I was bullshit, bullcrapping. I was just still using it on a download. I ended up losing my job. My dad, said, my mom said, move back in. I could take care of her. And because my brother and sister got family, and so we came out to Freeport, and I got to load this truck up with a few things and left most of my stuff there, just clothes and 
stuff. I didn't have a TV. I was big on pawning TVs. I was a TV pawn with my dad's, everybody. <laughs> so <laughs> I had to worry about hauling TV away because that was already gone. Right. So, I moved so back, bad. That didn't back, take long. No, I moved back in with my mom. This is, um, I don't know, probably the end of 05. Because in March of 06, she passed away. She got really bad. And she died in 06. And uh, March 06, I remember the day I was with my brother Charles. We're getting a tire. I was working for an asphalt company, Silk Coating. We're at a junkyard getting a tire, and I get the call, and I did like 140 mile an hour all the way back. Mm-hmm. I get there, and my sister's laying on her, and she, she's gone. And it was, it, when I looked in her eyes, it was like black marbles. Before we left, and then when we got back, she passed, and uh, it was, you know, my dad was holding her hand. It was, it was bad. Yeah. And that's when my, I was already using her, and that's when I gave up on life. I just, what, what did you think? Why did you give up? I mean, why did you give up on life right there? Because my mom passed away, and I, and I just didn't like who I was, because I, you know, the recovery guy, even with the seven months sober and I use it, I was starting to have some feelings, and I was starting to be a better better man, and, and I was paying the bills, I was paying rent, and then it got to a point where I was right back, even worse off before I got into recovery. And after she passed, yeah. I just started using it hard. I mean, the funeral, I mean, I was jacked up at the funeral. People were handing me cards. I remember my cousin come up and says, here, this is from... Your cousins, they said, don't put this in the box. And I didn't know. I'm like, why not? So I went to the bathroom and looked. There was money in there. I'm like, ooh. Mm. So then, like, my friends would come in. They'd hand me cards. I just put them in my pocket. And before you know it, I had four or $500. And, you know, I had, I had a dope man come right to the funeral, man. I went out, told him where I was at. He said, I'll be right there. He came around the corner, and I met him, and I was getting high out, you know, outside at the funeral parlor. Why do you think your mom, why do you think when your mom passed, that that was when you gave up? Because I was a mommy's boy, being a baby, and, and she was always there for me. And the safety net was gone, and not only that, my mom was my, I mean, I could tell my mom anything. I was honest right. with her. Right. You know, at the end, even when I was in recovery, we talked on the phone for hours. That coming when I was, she was dying. She taught me how to cook. I mean, I can cook like no tomorrow. The people that know me know that I can really cook. And all soul food. And she taught me that, like the business and gravy. I'm, I'm liking this guy. I'm gonna, I'm, you're gonna be, we're going to be having you over for dinner, and you'll be doing the cooking. Beans and ham hocks. <laughs> and Matt knows the bean and, yeah. beans and ham hocks. Yeah. You know, I cook country fried pork. Charlie cooked uh, for us tonight. Pretty phenomenal. And uh, so she taught me when she was dying, I was taking care of her. She was like, here, do this, do that. Show me a little secret. Did, did you get mad at God? Yeah, I blame God when I came back. And how it was is I, I told God, I, you know, I got mad because, see, she's a, she's a mother of and grandmother of all these people, kids, and, you know, my brothers, sisters, and all my... She was a good person. She was, yeah. the, she was like the one person you could she trust. Took, yeah, she took care of mentally handicapped people for 30 years, and they all loved her. So she was a really phenomenal person. Everybody that came in contact with loved her. And I'm like, why are you taking her when you can take me? I'm a piece of junk. I'm an addict. You know, I still, whatever I can get without getting busted, my dad's stuff, I, I, I'm no good. Take me. You know, if I die, no one's really going to matter. You take it, my mom, it's, it's affected everybody. My dad was married to her for 30-plus years. Right. And I watched that man after she found out he had cancer, and while, when she was dying slowly, I watched him. Part of him was dying. You know, he'd go to work, come home in his work clothes, and sit in a chair by her bed. Mm. You know, and I used to watch it. Even though I was out of my mind, I would watch him, and I would just cry and cry and cry. Yeah, because I, you knew she, that, that he loved her. Yeah, he, he, true love, yeah. you know. Right. It was his best friend And for she years. loved you. Yeah, and she loved me. And she, anyway. 
anyway. Yeah, anyway, any no matter what, I, no matter who I was or how bad I was, she always loved me. Yeah, I was always welcome at her house, and she always cooked a lot of food. So all my brothers and sisters knew around four o'clock. We knew <laughs> what you had for dinner. We pile over there and eat. Yeah. Know? So, I, and after she passed, shortly after it was like around. It was getting, shortly after that, I tried to kill myself. I remember uh, around the corner at that same house that I got, I relapsed at, and they had a basement, and everybody's getting high, drinking, and I, and I was hiding in the basement because I don't want people seeing me, and they're like, yeah, just hide down there because my dad lived around the corner, and my brothers were all going over there checking on my dad. They see me there, it'd be horrible, so I just, you know, hid in the basement, and they're all upstairs outside by a bonfire, and I'm getting high by myself, and when they want to do hits, they come down and get it from me, and I remember I seen this rope laying there, and there was a big tow rope, the guy tows cars and stuff, and I remember throwing it around the rafters, and I tried hanging myself, and I woke up, they're all standing around me, and the rope broke, mm. and I remember the guy, the guy that owned the house, his wife owned it, but he was looking at me, going, man, I towed cars in that rope, dude, and I can't believe it broke, and I didn't know then that it was God doing for me what I couldn't do for myself, Yeah. And shortly after that, I got back into recovery, I made a call to somebody, and recovery, they come got me. She said, just pack your little bags and come. And I got back into Freeport. And she was in recovery with me in 05, and she had a house. And I ended up staying with her for a few days till I got back in the soldier house. Yeah. I went back there. I walked there. Went to my went back to my first meeting. It was a new meeting. I remember it. And they were all like, wow, Dwayne, you look like death worn over. And I was, I was bad. Yeah, you were death worn over. And then the Sunday morning is a home group that I used to go to. It's an old-timers meeting. And that's where I met Gator. Well, I know Gator in 05, but that's when I truly got to know this guy. Mm -hmm. I mean, he looked at me. He made sure he sat next to me. Mm -hmm. Big biker, burly dude, mm -hmm. smelled like a carton of smokes. And he looked at me, and he's like, <laughs> I'm that Gator. And he looked at me, and he said, work the steps or die. You know, he didn't blink an eye. He said, get busy living or get busy dying. Choose one and go with it. Yeah. And then he reached in his pocket and pulled out a 24-hour day book and told me to read January 6th. Mm -hmm. I remember that, and... And, and he used to come up from Rockford to Freeport. He got sold over to Freeport. You remember the last line of January 6th? No, the most important thing? Keeping sober. Yeah. most important thing in my life is to keep sober. My yeah. sobriety has to come first. Yeah. I used to memorize it. He told me to memorize it. He'd come up periodically on Sundays. And remember one time I'd come up and I'd say, hey, man, i got to memorize it. I started quoting it. He said, now, now I'll read it to you to you mean it. <laughs> you know, <laughs> and that's what his sponsor did for him. And Gator, if you're listening, you did a good job, bro. Yeah, he uh, he taught me a lot, man. You know, and, and he made me really. He wasn't even my sponsor at the time, but just the way he had for yeah. guys in recovery was just amazing stuff he'd done. It was it was taught to him. Yeah, and he didn't play around. See, everybody else was patting me on the back, glad to have you back. Sorry about your mom. You know, and I'm looking around the room, going, man, all these suckers, man. Who can I get? Mm -hmm. I need a cell phone. I, I ain't got no money. And I'm just my mind's wandering. Sure. And then here comes this guy. And he wasn't paying. You know, he's real. And that's what I needed. And then I got, I got busy. I started working the steps. Did you end up going back into treatment, or did you? Yeah, it was halfway. Yeah. yeah. They were gonna put me in a, the 28 day program, and the lady that took me in in 05, uh, she wasn't there no more. She had a kid, and her husband was there. I requested him, just because he's a phenomenal guy. His name's Rodney. Still counsels there. But anyway, he. Pulled me in the office and look, man, take all these plaques off the wall. I'm from the west side of Rockford. I didn't graduate. I don't need to know all these big words. I need help, man. You know, I'm, I'm going to kill myself if I can't get recovery. He uh, said, okay, we'll get you back in 28 days. And I told him, I don't need 28 days. I already know the disease. I already know all about the disease. I need to sit down, you know, and, and I need to get my mind right. I need to work the steps. I know what works. 
you guys preaching me about recovery is not going to work. So he got me back in a 28-day program, and I ended up staying four months. Yeah. And that's why 12-12-06 is my sobriety date. Okay. And I got got in there and started working the steps. You know, when they told me to do stuff, I'd do it. You know, and Gator and, uh, you know, this guy Steve and Daryl, they'd pick me up, take me to conferences and, and meetings, and they would just tag me along. And I would always ask them, why are you guys doing this for me? Hmm. Little guy from the west side, why are you guys doing this? And they're like, I remember Daryl always says, when it's your turn to pickle, bro, you better do the same. Meaning that when it's my turn. You give it back. Yeah, I give it back. Have you done that? Yeah. And that's what I do. For me, working with a newcomer and giving 100% back to the company, that's why I go to a lot of meetings. Gator always told me, what you did the first week, you got sober, do that all the way through. And that's why I got the time, and that's why I go to a lot of meetings. Yeah. And I've had a lot of a lot of trials in recovery, a lot of a lot of ups and downs. I had a four-year, almost a four-year relationship, a house with this girl, and it just didn't end right. We just butting heads too much, and I walked away from it. And then I moved back from Rock. I moved back to Freeport to Rock. I moved in with Gator. Mm-hmm. You know, first moved in with my sister who didn't understand the disease. And Gator said, I'll get your, get your stuff and I'll be there in 15 minutes. And he picked me up. <laughs> and I moved in with him. And uh, and I realized we we're a lot alike. <laughs> That's why he did for me. <laughs> so, he knew. Yeah, we bustled, We bumped a lot of heads. What happened? You, uh, uh, you lost your brother Charles, right? Yeah. What happened to Charles? Well, see, my brother Charles, he um, had hepatitis C from shooting up. Yeah, long time ago, and, and it was an intermission when my mom got sick and died. His health started deteriorating, so we don't know if he went back out or what happened. No one knows. But He'd he, been clean. Yeah, he was clean. And well, anyway, long story short, his hepatitis, his hepatitis C came back full force, and it took his life. Yeah. And so my my grandmother passed away since I was in recovery early on. But I got a call from my aunt. They didn't know how to get a hold of my dad since me and my dad had a connection. By then, he already had a new 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 lady he was with about a year later. And uh, he, I knew he goes to movies. They used to go to movies. So I said, I said, look, he's at the movies. So I called the movie theater, and then they, they ended up finding him at the movie theater. And I got there. She passed away. And then my sister, Gail, the one I used to use, with, got cancer. She moved up from Mississippi. She did her chemo. She went into cardiac arrest. She died pretty much at my sister Donna's house. Mm. My brother, he kind of carried her in the house and my brother Mark and so he, he kind of passed away there and uh, but then she was at the hospital on life support and when I got there everybody was gone and she was just breathing out of the machine and my, my niece came up from down south her daughter and I, and I got to pull the plug and yeah and I you know she pretty much was dead but I, I got to hold her yeah. to the minor and went blank and then I uh, kissed her on her forehead told her look I'm in recovery I had like three years at the time yeah and it was rough you know I made it through that without using before I would use. Yeah, and that's the thing. That's uh, you know, part of the, the the title is not looking for reasons, and the, and the purpose of that title was to say you've been through a lot of stuff since you got sober. Yeah. And you didn't get, you know, you went through your sister's passing away. You you know, you know Charles that that happened. Yeah. And a lot of a lot of other I know the relationship, a lot of other things. You know, that's not the, those aren't reasons. Those, that's not, they're hard things. Yeah, it's, you know, I could use those for excuses, but I remember I had my, my sister died, I had a sponsee with me at the time, and I remember looking at him, and he was just like, wow, blown away, you know, and then we got back to Freeport, and he, he just couldn't understand, he was crying, he couldn't understand, how do I go through that and not want to use, he was new in recovery, and I said, man, applying the steps and living them in my life, you know, and, and going through that stuff, 
I got to be there for my niece, you know, and then I got to be there when my brother died. I got a couple of nieces, three nieces that were there, and I got to be there for them, and, you know, and, it, and that's why I say I'm recovered because I was taught early on yeah. that when I wake up, I don't have to think about drinking or using. You know, when yeah. I work the steps. You, you said know. something earlier about how, like, you weren't, you know, like when your mom passed away and, and then you ended up getting high, that, you know, you'd been sober just long enough that all those feelings were coming up, but you weren't really in yeah. recovery. You weren't really working the program. You were just kind of coasting. So you got nothing. Yeah, and all the feelings came back and without recovery and without actually working on the way when the feelings came back, it really took me for a loop. I didn't know how to handle it. But when when you had the other when you had the other deaths in your family, you were working the steps, you were doing yeah. what you needed to do. So that's the, that's how you handled it. Yeah, when they and I and I like when they passed away, you know, and I was there and I was just like, you know, okay, I'm a, I'm a different guy. When when there's a transformation when you work the twelve steps of Alcoholics Anonymous or any program, you start transformation when you get through the first one to the twelfth one. I time it says in the book you'd be amazed before you're halfway through. And we handle situations that used to baffle us. I didn't know what that meant until I started going through these deaths and, and you know, it baffled me. All these deaths are happening but I'm not using them. Have you seen have you seen the transformation in you? Yes. Well when I didn't know until I had like uh Remember I was in treatment like this last time in 06, I had like 30 days, I was shaving. And I remember looking in the mirror and touching my eyes. I remember my mom said my eyes sinking in the back of my head. And I had my eyes were they were full force and I wasn't like two burnt holes in a blanket, she used to always say. <laughs> two burnt holes in a blanket. Yeah, she used to always say that. And my brother and sisters know because she used to say you got So your me. eyes were were like there, yeah. there, there was had, life there was life there. I had weight on and just... Just the way I handled situations, they used to baffle me. I, I mean, I didn't think about drinking and using. Yeah, it hurt, and I felt the pain, but that's the key. I felt it, mm-hmm. and, and I and I done and I, and I called my sponsor and I, and I called him. And like when my sister died, I went right back to Freeport. I didn't play around in Rockford. I didn't hang around no family members. They all drank and used. I just point A to point B. Okay, I'm going in for my sister, and I got out of there. Yeah, you know, my brother's funeral. You know, people were using there, and I took my sponsor with me. I said, hey, will you come with me? He took off work. Because then he's like, I'll, I'll call in. I'll take a vacation day. He took off vacation day. He won't meet with me to my funeral. Yeah. My brother, just because I couldn't trust myself. I mean, you know, I'm working a program. I mean, I was born at night, but not last night. I know what my family do, and I don't want to be around with the emotions and the feelings, and they pull out something that I think looks good, and then I'm off to the races. All it takes is one, and I'm done. And that's something that, see, and that's an, that's an important thing for people to hear because it's like, the strength, the kind of strength that you have is knowing what your weakness is. Yeah. That's a different kind of strength. That's not like, I'm going to hold on to my chair, grip my teeth, and I'm not going to do it this time. That's not strength. Not with, when this is concerned. You, you were strong enough to know that that was your weakness and you needed to break your, you know, bring your sponsor, bring somebody with you. Yeah. You know. And that's kind of what I did. And then through that, I, I was living with Gator. And that's where I met, you know, my buddy Matt. And that's how I got out to this area. Mm-hmm. He was going to meetings, and we got a call at his house, and they said there was a guy in the steps who needed help. And the Gator does that for 20-some years today. He ain't a saint. I'm not a saint. But when when the hand reaches out, he always told me, put a period with a period and a question mark with a question mark. When the hand reaches out, you're responsible, period. And I remember that day. I couldn't get my shoes on fast enough. He's already scrolling around the driveway and picked this guy up. <laughs> You know, and the guy sits in in this yeah. room right now on his couch for over two years of sobriety. Yeah. You know, and that's me and him became buddies because we started hanging out, doing recovery. Yeah. Plugging in. So how's things working for you now? Are you doing all right? 
yeah, my life's pretty good financially, and I was laid off for a while. And recovery-wise, I do that, I think, 100%. I help others. I, I, but, man, financially, I'm still having troubles in that area, I'm trying to save money, bouncing some jobs, getting laid off. You know, people helping me out in recovery. I owe people money, a few people in recovery. And, you know, it's just I'm not financing where I want to be. And I yeah. know that. I yeah. just currently switch sponsors, you know, not to try to, you know, I'm just, I'm looking, for, I know I need to grow yeah. in some areas. And I, I'm not, I'm not, it's not acceptable to me. Yeah. I look in the mirror, and when I, and I look at where I'm at, and I know that I need to change. The only one I can change is just the way. That's where you want to be. If there was uh, anything that you'd want to say to uh, to a new guy, what, what would you tell? What would you tell the new guy? I would tell him what I always tell him. The same thing here. Told me work the steps to die. Mm-hmm. If they've never been in recovery, they don't know what it means. I show them. You know, and they told me to shake their hands, make the newcomer welcome. You know, when he says he's been here, he's got two days, so you make sure you shake his hand, you make, you know, and nowadays everybody's got cell phones. Instead of, you know, you do a phone list, but you get their number. Mm-hmm. You know, and you start, you know, because it's kind of, I know how it is. Sometimes you pick up that phone, give me your number, man, and I call you. Mm-hmm. You know, and then, you know, now they got to answer the phone, who Dwayne's calling. And then I make sure they get a phone list, I make sure I get their number if they have a phone, and I make them feel welcome because that's what it's about, is making them feel at home. Because I know how it is coming in scared, sitting on your hands, and all you think about is drinking music. Yeah, that's not a pleasant place to be. You know, yeah. Helps to have a friend, somebody who who cares. Yeah, and I just kind of just take them through, and that's what I try to work the steps to die. Yeah. You know, Gators are a little more rough than that. He used a couple of foul languages, which, you know, <laughs> do, 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 do the Do do your impression, Gator, uh, Gator impression. Hi, my name's Gator, and I'm an alcoholic drug addict. <laughs> That's pretty good. Yeah, you like that. Yeah, he's got a little raspy voice, but, yeah. but the man's got a heart to go. No matter what it looks like in the inside, like I said, he's not saying to you. You can pick my recovery apart if you look at me long enough, but when you look down deep down inside, I am who I am, and, and I'm in the program. Yeah. Well, um, that's probably about all we got time for tonight, but I, I appreciate you uh, Thanks for asking me to come. telling your story and doing your thing. and You know, it's a good message. There's a lot of good stuff in there. Thank and you. I've seen the, I've seen the, I see the difference. Yeah. I see the difference. Yeah, people, you, you see the difference. You see what I was drinking. Just ask my dad. Mm-hmm. I'll tell you all about how I used to look and how I act. I should have had you bring a picture. <laughs> yeah, <He's laughs> would have scared us. Would have scared us all. Yeah, at the Soldier House when I came back this last time, they keep photographs and like a year. I had a year of sobriety, and the lady pulled it out, and had it on there because I go to a lot of meetings there. She knew I was coming, and I looked at it. I didn't even look like the same guy. My driver license. I show people my driver license. They're like, no. is that you? Because I'm all skinny, and that was from a long time ago. And that was with the eyes, with the holes yeah. in the blanket thing going yeah. on? They, yeah, they, they, the DMV, they keep your driving license on record. They just give you a reprint. It's from a long time ago, and I'm like two, 214 now. Back then, I was like one-something. Holy crap. Yeah, you know, it's a good thing we didn't. We would have all been scared. But anyway, I, thank you for coming tonight, Dwayne. No problem. Thank you. Thanks, for, uh, thanks to our listeners and our studio audience. And, uh, woo, woo. And uh, so we'll email uh, reminders for next week's show, Thursday or Friday of, uh, of this, uh, this week. And um, check recoveryinternetradio.com for all our archive shows mm-hmm. and to sign up for our email reminder list. We'd like to hear from you so we know where you are because this is an uh, Internet radio show, so we have no idea where you're listening from unless we hear from you. So as always, live today, love yourself and your neighbor, and together we'll trudge the happy road to destiny. We hope you've enjoyed the show, and we'll see you at 7 p.m. next Sunday night. Thanks a lot for coming.